What's up guys, welcome to another episode of the Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a topic and about a career path that, you know, we've seen covered on various documentaries and with us today we have Jess and Jess, if you can tell the people who you are and what you do. How's it guys? Um, my name is Jess Doveton. Um, at the moment, I'm working as a freelance chef. Um, I've been in the industry for about, since I matriculated, um, doing various different chefing jobs. Um, I've started my own business now and yeah, I'm basically trying to grow that and trying to kind of create a concept that is different to how um, people are opening up restaurants um, now in Joburg. So I'm trying to kind of, um, you know, not necessarily open up a restaurant, but definitely have pop-ups here and there and collaborate with amazing other creative artists. And it's interesting, um, you know, you, you're still quite young, um, born in 95, so you, you're very young in that sense. When you were, you know, going back maybe nine, ten years, what were you thinking when you were in high school? You know, what would you be doing, you know, ten years later? Oh, God, um, definitely not chefing. <laughs> so I think when I matriculated, I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to jump on the bandwagon of, you know, everyone, all my mates started studying at UCT. I grew up in Cape Town and... I kind of felt pressured to go and study, but um, I didn't, I knew that that's not necessarily what I wanted to do. So I actually wanted to study psychology and I signed up at SACAP, which is a college in Cape Town. And then it didn't go through and I was kind of just working in the hospitality industry, trying to make some money. And I moved, I also moved out at the same time. I was making enough money to move out. And then I think being in the hospitality industry, kind of made me realize that I actually love to cook um, and I didn't want to be front of house anymore. So yeah, that was my, that's, that, that's what happened after high school. And, you know, you talk about that decision, you know, deciding to, or, you know, realizing that cooking is something that you may want to do. What kind of influenced you in that sense? Is it just because you were in the hospitality industry or were there other factors maybe um, a role model or things that you maybe consumed content or, or anything of that sort? So my mom is from Thailand and I actually was born in Thailand and I always grew up with her making incredible Thai food and it was quite funny because growing up um, half Thai and half white um, I was always kind of um, not embarrassed about my heritage or anything but I kind of hindered that, you know, part of myself. And um, I think, you know, just growing up and after high school, I started actually realizing how much I love Thai food and um, how much my mom actually influenced my palate because I would just be craving, you know, all the nostalgic food that I ate when I was growing up. And I think that really influenced me to cook a lot of Thai food at home. And, you know, she didn't teach me much cooking but she did teach me a lot and um just knowing the different flavor profiles of thai food and um yeah it's definitely a cuisine that i eat most most often 
and um, I think mainly what actually happened was when um, when I left the when I left Cape Town um, after working in the hospitality industry for about a year, um, I went to go work on the yachts and I was gonna actually work as a stewardess and the people that I was working for was a private boat and they I would. I was a cook and a steward at the same time. And they said to me, like, listen, we really love your Thai food. Do you prefer to just be the chef and we can hire another steward? And I was like, wow, that would be amazing. And I think that kind of pushed me in the deep end. And I was like, shit, like, I actually need to learn how to cook. And so for two years, I just did so much self-research into the food. And I just made it happen and stopped being a steward. And I was just cooking for since then. And I learned so much. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, when you think about, you know, chefs and, you know, through the, the shows that we watch, you know, that that's available to us. So the master chefs and the top chef and all those kind of shows, you, you, you know, see these chefs and they have these um, accreditations, if you want to put it that way, or qualifications. You, um, you, mm. you were based in, is it Palma in Spain? And... You you did mm. your your qualifications there. Can you maybe talk about yes. you know what that encompasses and how does that kind of contribute to you know your accreditation as a chef? So I haven't really done. I haven't gotten. I haven't gone to chef school or anything. But so Spain was just you know it was the place that I just moved to. Me and my best mate just moved there. We we're like let's just go work on the yachts. Let's make some money. Let's get out of South Africa. And Spain was the kind of the easiest place for us to go on our South African visa. And we just ended up in Palma for some reason. And um, I didn't learn too much about um, the food in Palma. I think it is um, uh, a Spanish influence, but I think it's the Catalina cuisine there. But the markets were incredible. So I was able to go and get a lot of fresh produce from all the markets and um yeah just cook with that but um the people that I was working for on the yacht they just mainly loved Asian food so I had to kind of take what I could get at the market and create um Asian dishes so I mean at the time I wasn't really interested in learning about the food in Spain just because I was so out of my depth already and I was just trying to concentrate on getting as much knowledge as possible on the cuisine that I was interested in. So I'd love to go back to Spain and learn more about Spanish food. But at the moment, I think Asian food, Thai food um, predominantly is my main focus. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting because, I mean, just based on your, you know, where you've worked in the past, you've obviously been through various locations and with that comes... A, a vast amount of you know interest in the food that your customer wants have you found that asian food in general so even going back to you know your time working at is it is it tardy um that that restaurant with the indian food um yeah yeah is is that like how how has you know asian food kind of evolved and and become more of a mainstream you know type of food so i mean i definitely don't think Maybe Cape Town, but definitely not Joburg. It's not there yet. Um, and I think that's also why I moved to Joburg. Um, you know, because 
in Cape Town, I mean, Cape Town's amazing. The food industry and the food scene in Cape Town is incredible. But I don't think I would have um, made it there in, in a sense of how I was able to do things so quickly in Joburg. And I think that's because in Joburg, there is still a gap in the market for good food, you know. And I think, you know, I struggle to go out and find restaurants that I want to go to in Joburg. And I'm not trying to say anything about, trying to say anything bad about it. But I just think that um, there's not too many chef-owned restaurants in Joburg, where there's quite a few chef-owned restaurants in Cape Town. And I think that kind of is what makes the difference between, you know, restauranteurs, business people owning restaurants and just hiring um, developers to do the menu. And then they go and the staff, and especially with Asian food or Thai food, you know, it's very complicated and it's very, you really need to know what's going on. You need to know the flavors and, you know, before you even westernize dishes you actually need to know the roots of it I think it's very important before you just start changing things so and it'll, it'll happen to me a lot you know I'll go I'll go out to an Asian restaurant and I'll ask about this and this and a lot of the time they don't know the ingredients or or you know um what's going on in the dishes so I mean that is a little bit disappointing <laughs> but you know, we're very lucky in Joburg to have Chinatown. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in Cyrildine and there's incredible produce there. And I have, I'm literally there like so often. And there's a lady called um, Yai who makes the most incredible Northeast um, Thai food. And I go there once a week and she cooks from my house and yeah, she's amazing. So there is, there is some hidden gems in Joburg. But I think I'm just talking more in the sense of just the, you know, the scene, the restaurant scene in Joburg. It's, yeah, I think there's a bit of a gap. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Joburg, we kind of, I would say what's kind of evolved here is, um, you know, the, the small kind of owned, uh, like cafe kind of genre that, you know, that, that category kind of thing has come up a lot. So the cafes, um, a lot of small bakery kind of restaurants, you know, there's that combination that it's small, it's, it, it, it really, it works in a lot of the, the regular food that you have on an everyday basis. So you kind of see the same people every day because that's that kind of scene that they're building. So I think that, and obviously the bars and, and those kind of things are, are kind of there. But in terms of Asian food, I think this is where you come in and you, you've seen that gap. Um, how is it for you, you know, like you said, you go to these places and you, you talk to them about, or you ask them a question and they don't really know the answer to these questions that you're asking. How is it for you? Does it feel like, you know, there's always this term appropriation, you know, like cultural appropriation. Is that something that you kind of take, take to heart? Is that something that you feel, you know, restaurants shouldn't be doing? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think cultural appropriation is very important, you know, and I think, you know, I mean, there's obviously a fine line between, because um, obviously anyone can open up a restaurant, but I think, obviously for me with Thai food, it's really, I don't know, I mean, obviously it's a bit sensitive because it's like, well, you guys don't really know the food or 
you know what's going on and you you know you kind of open up a restaurant and then you create like this brand on and a lot of people like you know like uh, how do you explain it like just the decor and the interior and everything it's a bit um there's a lot of restaurants that definitely um need to actually work on that and and it's and it's because they're trying to be trendy you know um but yeah I mean I haven't I haven't felt that too much in Joburg um and also I could also be naive I've only been here for a year and a half so my experience could be I haven't actually gone out enough in Joburg I haven't gone you know out because I know there's so many amazing restaurants in Yeovil there's amazing restaurants in Fordsburg you know there are incredible places but I think I'm just talking more on the the kind of how do I say it, like, maybe just the, you know, Rosebank, I don't know, I haven't gone out to much in Santon, um, maybe even Melville, maybe I'm just talking about kind of like the, the upper to middle class scene, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, like, there's obviously, like yourself, there's like hidden gems as well, so I suppose you need to, you know, really know the scene to find these places. Mm, exactly. But if we're talking about Asian food, I think there is definitely a gap in the market in, in Asian food. Unless you're willing to travel to Cyrildine, you know, and a lot of people aren't. It's far for a lot of people. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure why people don't go to Cyrildine more often. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I think it comes down to, you know, it's always comfort, um, in a sense. So it's like when you don't know the, the, you know, the water you're swimming in, you don't tend to jump in that pool like you're rather not. So I think it's all, it's always like, it's always just the, the, um, you know, what people see and the, the perception that's built around it. So once you hear something isn't to your expectations, then you, you just don't bother. You'd rather go somewhere else and spend more money just based on location and, um, the people that are there and I think that's where kind of food is sort of breaking the boundary because um, you know once even in like for instance like Maboneng so that is based it's in Joburg CBD and Joburg CBD has a bad rap because of you know crime and whatnot but the food and the, the vibe that that brings is kind of growing that scene and people are venturing there from the higher to middle you know middle to high class people are coming there so do you feel that food is that uniting factor that, um, you know, chefs and, and um, people that own restaurants can see the fruit of, you know, using food as that uniting factor? For sure. I definitely think that. And I definitely think people are willing to travel to places to get an experience, to get a vibe, to get an all-rounding experience, you know. Um, that's why people love to go to Mubbing. It's such a vibe there. Um, also, I don't know if you've been to what, uh, I think, I don't know if Urbanology is still around, but Urbanology was amazing and I was in Fox Street. I know there's also that bar there as well. So I think, um, I mean, location is very important, but I do think people, um, are willing to travel to, yeah. And I definitely think food definitely unites people. Um, especially in Joburg, I think people have, you know, a bit more um, disposable income in Joburg, so they want to 
like eat and go out more more so than in Cape Town um which is actually quite an interesting thing that I found working in the service industry in Cape Town is that you know when I was working at places like Chef's Warehouse and Tally incredible restaurants but I also found you know 90% of the clientele were foreigners and, and tourists so not local people maybe because it was a bit above people's price brackets but um Italian chefs wells wasn't like they're not too expensive I think it's like 375 rand a head for an eight course meal so yeah I think people in Joburg are willing to spend a bit more money but I think um yeah I think because Joburg's so big there's just so many different pockets you know yeah of areas and places if that makes sense yeah and, you know, just before we, you know, dive into more of your practical chef experience, you worked at um, Hudson's and you were a waitress and a hostess. And that was um, over, I think it was a, what, a three-year span, that, that, that whole journey. How was it, um, you know, how did that kind of influence you to further, you know, journey into the food industry and how much did you learn from those roles I mean because those are very um, hands-on you know people kind of dealing you know uh, interaction based uh, jobs so how much did you learn from that and how much have you now you know used that in your current situation mm. so I mean I worked at Hudson's for a while when I left school um, uh, it definitely taught me so much I mean flip we got some hectic clientele there um and just having to manage people and, you know, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, and it was also when Hudson's was still quite new in Cape Town, so it was pumping. Um, so then at that time, I wasn't too interested in the food. Um, but I definitely think it taught me so much about myself, about just how to handle and manage people. And I think, you know, after working at Hudson's for a while and learning everything that I that I learned, then I was like, okay, I'm ready for the for the next step to maybe work at a more of a higher end restaurant. And I think working at, you know, Chef's Warehouse entirely, that definitely that was where I was like, yo, like I need to learn about food because this is inc- this is incredible. I don't want to just be working in front of house. Like I want to be tasting these dishes, creating dishes. And I think you know definitely. Those restaurants were the restaurants where I started being a lot more interested in learning how to cook food. And then going going into your, you know, talking about working on the yachts and working overseas, how is how was that different from the scene, obviously being a private chef and, you know, being a, a chef that works in a restaurant from what you saw while working at Hudson's and um, uh, Chef Warehouse in, in Tali? Or at Tali, um, how was that to see the difference in in dynamic between you know like re- I want to call it retail food and private chef work. So what what's the difference between the two, and how can you kind of describe your your experience? So I think you know the main thing that people get enticed by private work is the money, and I think. You know, everyone knows that the restaurant industry in South Africa, people earn, you know, such little money. And, you know, chefs work really hard and 
they don't earn a lot and because I was kind of always independent since I left school I couldn't really afford to get a chef's salary still pay for rent and try and work my way up that was just not an option for me so I decided to do more private stuff but the problem with private stuff is that you're not really around anyone you kind of have to micromanage yourself so you don't have the influence of other incredible chefs around you but um, in terms of money I suppose it's worth it and um, I think also traveling it's so worth it you know um, when you're young you get to travel and um, save up enough money you know I, I traveled the whole of Southeast Asia I learned so much about food there like you know actually being there and being around the local people, um, that's where I actually ended up learning the most. So I think for me, I would never regret doing any private work because I got to travel up. You know, also Melbourne is an incredible city in Australia and the food there is so, you know, it's just insane. And I think, you know, just living in Melbourne for a year, that's also when I came back, I was like, yo, there's just so much that South Africa, Cape Town and Joburg you know, we're still not there yet, and I think, you know, maybe that made me think forwardly about things, um, and that's probably where I'm at at the moment, and that's how, that's what influenced me with kind of, like, an unconventional way of doing things, like how I'm doing it now, um, but, you know, I, I don't see myself working in an industrial kitchen, and I think, you know, I think chefs are incredible and they work so hard and maybe I'm taking the easy route you know by doing my own thing but flip I think I'm just that kind of person and you know I, I don't enjoy working for people anymore and I just want to hustle and create my own thing and just get out there and hopefully people um, back that or some people might be like she doesn't have enough experience but whatever like you know I don't I, I just can't be asked to work, not can't be asked, but, you know, I just, I can't afford to break my, you know, just work in an industrial kitchen for 10 years to just, just have the reputation of working under a famous chef, if that makes sense. I don't think that's the route. I think there's a lot of different routes, you know, to go. That's an interesting point of view because, um, like I said, going back to the content of, what is a chef that we, you know, consume on, you know, the everyday. So the, those kind of shows and, and those kind of documentaries that we see. And I think Netflix is doing a great job of kind of telling more chef stories. So I don't know if you watch any of those documentaries, but like they, they're very, food. yeah, exactly. They, they're breaking that, that stereotype of, you know, you have to go to chef school and you have to learn French cuisine. Like that's the way kind of thing. So it's interesting that you you bringing in this fresh perspective. Do you think that this is, the way you're doing things is something that other chefs can learn from or maybe implement? Or do you, do you still recommend that they go a more traditional way? Do you see this as being like a, a different way of doing things? Mm, mm, I think it's a very individual basis. I think it's very important. I mean, training is very important, you know, um, down the line, I know that I'll end up going and 
doing a like a studying somewhere maybe even if it's just for six months but at least now I know where I am and what I want to do so if I do go and study it'll be at the exact institution that I that I want to go to but um I mean flip I went to some open days and um I also did a trial at a having a competition at one of the chef schools I won't mention names but just so ridiculously expensive and um I was just so shocked on how the chef schools just kind of teach this that exact kind of way of cooking just very you know old school kind of um French um fine dining which I think is actually very important because you learn a lot of skills and then from there you can you can kind of then apply that to other things but I just knew I was like and also they just didn't I, I don't know I just thought there's no way I'm going to study here and pay so much I already probably know not know everything that they're going to teach me but I just knew that I wasn't going to be interested in the stuff that they were teaching but I think down the line I definitely do want to go and get some like courses and techniques and all of that um, so I think it is important to study always and it's, I mean also for work I mean unless you know you want to be an entrepreneur and do things on your own I think it experience is, is very important um, because you know you don't want to be arrogant and think that you can just kind of do whatever you know and, and the thing is with the chefing industry you know you've got to be humble you've got to work the long hours you've got to you know wash dishes you've got to chop onions for months <laughs> But I think that teaches you a lot of things, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, I think for me, it kind of sounds like it's it sounds so um, it sounds like the story of, you know, like a kid, like a youngster coming up and then realizing that, you know, working the office job just isn't meant for them. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. And it's it's relatable because uh, me coming from I've studied four years, got my degree and my honors and I just didn't see myself being an intern at a company and it just didn't like that image and that you know that whole thing having two parents that work in a bank I was like this just isn't for me I don't see myself doing corporate I'll rather freelance and and do photography and video for myself and open up my own business so I think it's it's refreshing to see it in in the the chefing industry and the food industry as well because it just you know tradition is good and it serves its purpose in certain um, environments but there is time where you can break away and kind of build something else a question I want to ask is you worked um, in Australia and you cooked for families from Switzerland when you were in Cape Town Um, what were the difference between their palates so how did you have to adjust or did you have to adjust in any way or did you find yourself um, kind of cooking the same kind of food for them so I think with private clients, you know, you have to really get to know them. Everyone likes different food. So, um, you know, and the thing that sucks a little bit about private chefing is that you kind of just have to cater to what your clients need and want. So, you know, uh, often I wouldn't cook Asian food. Um, luckily, the clients that I have cooked for love Asian food, so I cook Asian food a lot. But um, at the end of the day, I find people who are really wealthy and who can afford to have private chefs actually just normal, you know. A lot of the time, I'll just be making them super healthy, clean food. Um, 
And then on weekends, they would just let me kind of do whatever I wanted with, you know. But usually it would be a strict kind of routine diet because, I mean, not everyone can eat hectic food every day, you know. Imagine imagine eating um, a five-course meal every day, you know. No one, you can't do that. So um, literally just, they would, most of the time they would just eat what anyone else would eat. But then on the occasions, obviously, they would want something a bit more fancy or indulgent. And if you have to compare, you know, the when you say clean food, um, do you think that's a, a growing, um, you know, I don't want to say trend because, you know, being healthy is important. But do you see that as a growing kind of, uh, what's the word, you know, it's a growing concern. Market. Yeah, it's a growing market oh, and, and, and a concern. For, for many people because now you don't want to eat fast food because it is unhealthy and you go to these restaurants and they serve you the vegan and the vegetarian options and the low calorie options so do you see this as like a um and i see that you worked with is it mana or mana food and you developed a, a menu there so how how does this all come together when you build uh for instance a menu when you work there mm. So for me, um, I obviously respect healthy food. I think it's important for people to eat healthy. But I think my vibe at the moment is um, just living tasty food here. So, yeah, I mean, I've got some fr- deep fried shit on my menu. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, people eat my food because it's delicious. I mean, maybe they can't eat it every day, but... It's very indulgent and, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of influence from, you know, um, you know, Asian food. So like bows, steamed buns, you know, th- those, those things aren't healthy, but we make, I make everything from scratch. Um, so at the end of the day, maybe it's less processed. I definitely would yeah. say that it's less processed and, you know, I am, I am sourcing all of my ingredients locally and I know exactly where I'm getting all of them farm and all my meat and everything is sustainable so in a way i mean that's good but um in terms of healthy i wouldn't say my food is healthy and i don't really care too much about that and i also don't want to feel like i should you know i think if i want to have deep fried chicken on my menu i think i should be allowed to do that no i just think that people yeah, I mean, also if you look overseas, if you look in London, if you look in Australia, you know, there's obviously going to be healthy restaurants, but there's also so many restaurants that are just, you know, I don't know if you watch Maddie Madison or Ashton Branson on Munchies, on Vice, on YouTube. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really care too much about healthy food, but I think it's very important. But I don't think it's my my... You know, it's not my menu or what I want to do, yeah. Do you think, um, or what's your opinion? So, you know, this this is an interesting thing, right? And it's coming back to kind of the healthy food and the way it's marketed. So vegan, veganism and vegetarian restaurants and those kind of things are coming up a lot. And obviously it's it served the purpose of, you know, firstly sustainable um, food or kind of, you know, with the thought of, you know, sustainability and, and those kind of things. What are your your thoughts as someone who's, you know, been in Melbourne, like you said, in Australia? Is this something that you've seen over there? And do you think this is a 
a, a good kind of, you know, part of the industry that's building up here in South Africa? For sure. I mean, I, I have a whole vegan menu on my website. And, you know, I think people get confused between vegetarian, vegan food and, yeah. um, and um, also um, linking it to healthy. And I don't think vegan or vegetarian food, not all of it is healthy. You know, a lot of it's processed. But I think... You know, um, obviously I've seen, I haven't been to Lexi's Healthy Eats through yet and I really need to go, but I think she's doing it in the, the healthy way as well. And I think my vegan food definitely on the menu is not necessarily clean or healthy, but it's just delicious. And I think, and I also think with um, vegan food and, and there's a lot, actually, you know, I think 40% of my clientele are vegans. So there is a big market for, for vegan food. But I think people need to be more innovative and creative with coming up with concepts of vegetarian and vegan options. And instead of just replicating or replacing meat with like meat alternatives, they, I think people need to be more creative um, and do more creative things with vegetables and, you know, so and so instead of just having a vegan burger or vegan yeah. bacon or vegan chicken wings. Because often it's not as satisfactory, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think coming, you know, talking about being creative, you developed the menu, you kind of built, you know, you put together recipes for, um, mm. for is it Mana Food Company? Mm. How was that as a role? Like, do you see yourself as potentially being like, you know, you are a freelancer. So is this something that you add to your, is that something that you add to your, your, your kind of services as a, you know, a menu um, boulder developer recipe maker kind of thing I definitely think that would be the next step um, in my career I think you know I am probably gonna get tired of cooking all day and running or managing a restaurant or you know just working long ass hours and probably not earning too much money um, so I think that would be the next step doing developing I really actually do enjoy that and um, you know maybe going into training people to learn how to cook Asian food or you know all those things so I think developing is definitely something that I want to do um, I just need to get some experience with um, with that and I think this is probably also a good time because unfortunately so many restaurants have closed down due to corona and we're probably going to end up talking about that soon so I think there's going to be a new wave of restaurants opening up and maybe, well, people who do have money to invest in opening up restaurants would, would need people to come and consult. Yeah, it's and, you know, coming to COVID-19 and, and the, the effects of it, um, you being, you know, a private freelancing chef, um, you obviously haven't had the work come in, you know, coming in as much. How did this influence your, you know, your new business that you started? And if you can just give people a, I know we've, we've kind of talked about it a, a little bit over the podcast, um, but if you can, you know, give them a more dense um, summary of what, who you are and how this is now kind of in, integrated into this new business mm. that you've started. So I actually, at the beginning of Corona, um, I did get, I was actually starting a project and then I did get um, retrenched, if I'd say that. So that was a big project that I was actually supposed to be involved in. And 
my it was a new one and my employment contract got um cancelled and I was like I'm literally so fucked like I just moved into this house in Rosebank like what am I gonna do like there's gonna be no jobs now so I think that forced me to then be like okay well I've got a skill you know restaurants are closed people are gonna want to order takeaways because they're not gonna want to cook every day so I then um my partner Daniel or um so we so this is a business that we're both running together basically but he was like you know let's just flip and make a website and start promoting and marketing and we can just deliver food to people so that's what we did uh, we created a website we created a brand and we started developing some recipes and because of corona actually we um did this and it's actually kicked off I mean it's still getting there but I mean it's it's definitely I'm so shocked on how much amazing support we've gotten and how how many like you know I'm getting orders every single day so um and I know that that's something that is going to grow into something big um you know if we get an investor we really want to open up some brick and mortar stalls and and I think you know, because of Corona, we actually had to think on our feet and we had to just open up something because if we didn't, then we wouldn't have been able to get any income. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so actually in a way, um, Corona was good for me because it, it made me start something. But, um, yeah, it's really sad for all the restaurants that have had to close down. Um, yeah. And I think I also think now um going in hopefully we'll be going into level one soon that um there's gonna be a lot more opportunities for restaurants um to open up and new things to happen and I think people are gonna have to think a bit out the box um and not be so stuck in the kind of old kind of business model that restaurants have I think you know because anything can happen now that we know that and yeah, I think instead of having like a five-year business model on a restaurant, we got to do new things like, you know, collaborating with people, doing pop-ups. I'm doing a pop-up at Nick's Bar in Rosebag. And yeah, I think chefs don't necessarily need to open up a restaurant, but they can, you know, um, collaborate with bars or like wine bars or things like that and um, create some new concepts. And it doesn't have to be so set in stone yeah i think uh, yeah definitely because um if anything you know covid has shown us where we kind of lack you know the 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 way we work the way we look at things and how that needed to change and this just accelerated every single part of that so i think that's that's a really good point is that we you know going forward you know level one and then obviously post corona hopefully that day does come <laughs> But um, it's just that, yeah, we need to kind of adjust and, and look at things differently. And can you maybe talk about the way that you have collaborated yourself? So with your business and, and you know, being Asian food and then collaborating with um, a baker. So how does that kind of integrate and how was that, you know, for the reception from people? So um, we've actually been working together for over a year now, just on little projects here and there. Um, so Daniel is... Uh, not just a baker, he, 
So he just creates dishes or desserts and he makes lots of bread. He's just very technically very good. So when it comes into collaboration with me, you know, um, he also makes incredible ice cream. So for example, our collaboration is um, the desserts on my menu are all his crazy ice cream flavors like burnt toast ice cream, ava ice cream. So I think it can connect because I'm also trying to be unconventional. So he's also being unconventional. But then, you know, I think he's also getting influence from me with Asian food. So he's going to start, he's creating Asian desserts, like, I don't know, like Japanese cheesecakes, those kinds of things. And, but then on his own, he also does his own stuff. So I think the collaboration with me is more Asian style desserts and flavors, or just using Asian flavors in his desserts. But then obviously on his own, he's like making um, customized stuff for clients. So yeah, but he's also just a great person to work with hardworking. Um, so I don't, I don't think, you know, when you collaborate with people, I don't think they have to be on the same page as you. I think, you know, so for example, I was going to do a collaboration with Public Wine Bar, but, you know, sadly they've closed down and it was Corona. But, you know, you wouldn't think wine and Asian food go well together, but, you know, they, they can. And, you know, you can pair great white wines with Asian food. You want to, um, yeah, you kind of just bounce off of each other. So I'm not doing just, you know, Thai food when I'm collaborating with people. I'll do some other things as well, but it will still be Asian. And, you know, can you maybe describe the, the business model that you guys are currently working on? So it's, it's, and just to explain it for them so that they can understand what you're currently doing and how it has become so successful and for, you know, someone out there who's um, in the similar situation that you found yourself in where they're kind of trying to find a way to make money now and, and this may be an option, what advice can you give? And, and if you can just explain the business model and if you can just talk about the name and, you know, the, the meaning behind the name, if there is any, you know, significance mm -hmm. behind that. Sure. So our business model is basically like low risk <laughs> so you know not much capital putting into business which i think is actually important because a lot of people don't have investors or capital to start something and then they get scared or put off so you know i just looked at we looked at what we had you know i i live in quite a big house with a big kitchen so i'm like can definitely cook from home so can daniel we don't need to open up we don't need a rent a space yet maybe if we get busy we can so we just looked at what we had the equipment that we had um the facilities that we had and basically um our business model is yeah like obviously we invested a little bit in um you want to get some equipment that you would need but other than that, it's literally just getting produce and cooking and delivering it. So, you know, it's it's very low risk. I'm not losing anything. Um, I was able to start making capital, you know, after about two or three months, which when you open up a restaurant, you you know, that's like a three-year plan or two-year plan. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at. And, I mean, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if that's going to work for everyone, but... I think it's worked for us and I think other people can do it if they if they want to start something you just start small and 
you know, we're growing and then hopefully once we have enough capital, we can open up a shop and or even just a dark kitchen or a space that we can cook out of because obviously it's not ideal just cooking from home all the time. And um, but so that's our business model, just a very like low risk. Um, um, and also it had to be like that because I needed to get an income yeah. during Corona, you know, Um obviously like I haven't even started marketing yet so like I'm a bit worried because it's just me so I think marketing will come in so once I invest a bit in marketing then it's gonna hopefully blow up but at the moment I'm very busy so I haven't started marketing yet just until I have maybe can hire someone to help me but um so that I would if I did have more capital I would invest in marketing definitely um maybe social media and stuff as well um but that all comes you know that that comes with time and I think anyone can you know if you're a chef you can definitely cook meals from home and deliver it to to people um and then what was the other question about um, um your name so the name behind and if there oh, was okay. any meaningful, you know, like inspiration yeah. or... So, uh, so it's spelled Farang, but in Thai it's actually Falang. And it's actually a Thai word that Thai people use to Westerners or white people. <laughs> so it's kind of like a funny thing that Thai people say, like Falang, like Falang, Falang. It means like, ah, uh, like these Westerners or like these white people, <laughs> like... You know, so it's, like, quite funny, I thought, because, you know, we're going through that, like, now in 2020, and, you know, people obviously trying to, like, westernize of Thai food, and I thought it would be quite funny. Also, because, you know, I am cooking Thai food, and, you know, a lot of westerners and white people are eating it, so... <laughs> it's just, I don't know, maybe it's, like, a bit hectic, but I just thought it was funny. Because <laughs> it's, it's what, like, everyone says, you know. Like, even when I go to Thailand, they're like, ah, oh, she's half Falang, like, she's half white. Yeah. <laughs> and that's an interesting thing. How is that reception? Have you, you know, through your customers, have you had, you know, Thai people order your food and, and kind of comment on, on that? No, I actually haven't had any Thai people order my food. The Thai community in Joburg is very small small and very um, close-knit. So I don't think that they would be particularly interested in trying um, any westernized Thai food. Because, um, I mean, at the end of the day, my food is... I mean, I try to keep it as tra- traditional or authentic in the recipes, but it's still going to be westernized to, you know, people in a way. So... I don't think that they would be interested in eating my food when they have people like Yai and Seraldine that they can go and eat with. Um, but I was thinking that I should actually go and drop off some food there at Yai's house so she can taste some of my food just as a respect thing. But um, yeah, also I haven't really had anyone. I think people are just confused by the name. They don't even know what it is. I've had a few people that have gone to Thailand that recognize their name and they've, you know, like they've laughed. But in general, people don't really like notice. And that I think that's the irony of it as well. <laughs> it's like it's like an inside joke. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, you know, just coming towards the end of this, you know, you obviously have you know, gain a lot of recognition, you know, you've been mentioned in the Times or Sunday Times and Daily Maverick. How important has social media been, you know, you speak about investing in marketing, but obviously to get your name out there initially, the website, 
the social media. How important was that factor in building what is now Falang? So important. I mean, just through um, the Sunday Times, I've gotten so many customers, you know, so, so important. And maybe through the Sunday Times, I've gotten a lot of um, more older clientele, which is also great because, you know, with my kind of food, and especially, and this is what I didn't mention earlier, working from home, you know, um, it's very hard to do like an a la carte menu where people call in order like two things. So I think what is great and um, what we've been clever about is having the menu based for more family style things. So, you know, um, having larger meals for a whole family and then the price is obviously a bit higher as opposed to having like people call in and ordering like 10 different items on the menu which is a lot of late it's like labor intensive um it's not big profit margins um so you know um so that's been great with sunday times getting in a lot of um you know older people being able to order bigger meals for their whole families yeah so that's been great um yeah the pub- but obviously also just the publicity is great so yeah i really appreciate them for doing that and you know just coming towards this you know you i think your journey is interesting because it's so different and you've you know been through so many um avenues that is not traditional would you change anything you know knowing where you are now would you have changed the way you approached this entire journey or are you pretty happy with the way it's it's kind of turned out i mean obviously like flip everyone regrets things everyone wants to change a few things here and there but um in a whole no because i think that's just been my whole life anyway i think because of my life situation growing up it was always going to be like that you know i was never going to just go to uct study get a degree get my honors and then go work at an office or something so i think it was inevitable for it to end up being like this and um for me to just hustle with everything that I do. So yeah, I don't I don't really regret much. Maybe I could have definitely like saved more money working on the yachts, but I used it for traveling, you know, and when I was traveling I learned so much about all the Asian food that I wanted to cook. So it's worked out perfectly. And would you, you know, just on what you, you've learned over the years, is there any advice you can give to people looking to journey into the food industry, whether it be chef, uh, menu development or anything of that sort? What, what kind of advice can you give for them? I think people need to, um, I think they need to find out what they're passionate about um, and master it and study it and not necessarily study at an institution, but just really learn about things. I think um, I think it's very important to learn so much about the cuisine that you're interested in. I think just as a cultural point and uh, for yourself um, to just really go and delve deep into learning what you're passionate about. And yeah, just take risks. You know, you don't need to always just go into working an eight, you know, like 12 hours a day at a random restaurant, I think, I mean, I don't know, like, it's very, I mean, it's also a different demographic in South Africa, so a lot of people just need the work, so, um, 
I'm not saying that anyone can just go overseas, yeah. you know. But um, yeah, I think I think people should take more risks and maybe think about the whole industry a bit different. Um, think of it as not just so binary and that they have to do this and this and this to succeed. I think there's a lot of different avenues and I think we should normalize that, you know. Yeah, 100%. I think um, there's a motivational speaker that I, I used to kind of listen to a lot, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. or Mm-mm. So he's, him he's very along the lines of, you know, college is bad for certain people. Like it's not good for everyone. Like there's different ways to do, to do things. And not everyone has to, you know, go to university, like you said, you know, you didn't see yourself going to UCT and getting a corporate job. Um, so there's, there's, we need to, like you said, normalize this way of thinking that there is more than one way to be successful. You don't have to um, be a, a corporate, um, be in corporate to be successful and or go along the traditional ways to build something in an industry. And this comes to, to my last question. Um, um, obviously building for long over this period and being home, you know, a home cook, um, kind of business model. And like you said, low risk, where do you see yourself, um, you know, going, I don't want to kind of put a, a time, like a six month time period on it, but where do you see this growing? Do you see this as being something long-term and ultimately where do you, you want to see yourself long-term? So do you see yourself opening up? a restaurant or do you want to kind of keep it more along the lines of, um, like you said, you know, smaller collaborative kind of, uh, aspect? Mm. I definitely think I do want to open up some shops, not necessarily sit down restaurants, yeah. but more brick and mortar style. So, you know, just kind of like, and I'll, I also think, so with my brand and identity, you know, there's a lot of different things on my menu. So, you know, I kind of want to, like, for example, like open up a shop that just sells mm. my Bowsies and maybe dump, just my Bowsies. And that's like the one shop. And then maybe another shop is a different identity, but under the same umbrella. So I definitely think that's the avenue that I'm going for. Um, not necessarily just opening up a, like a restaurant that's open seven days a week, but more just kind of um, specific and more kind of like fast I, don't, I, don't, I think you know I don't I'm not that keen on the idea of having overheads or even waiting wait like waitering stuff too much I think it's also like a lot to deal with um, and um, I think just the food that I'm doing is more fast food kind of stuff so yeah just like over the counter kind of you order your things you grab it you go um, that's the kind of style that I want to go for. Maybe even like an Asian grocery store. Um, and that's where, and you know, I, I think I, I'm going to move overseas, like in a five year plan, maybe move to London, but I definitely want to grow my business here until, um, it's fully functioning before I, you know, maybe sell it off or, or do that. So cool yeah and you know just for the people out there where can they find you um instagram facebook or or websites where can they find you and order your food sure so definitely instagram uh i'm not actually that active on instagram yet but my website everything's on my website um 
It's um, I'll send it to you. It's farang um dash oboy dot com. That's where all my menus are on. Um, people just WhatsApp me, order, and then I deliver it either the same day if I have time or the next day. Um, so it's kind of in advance ordering, but clients have been happy to do that. Um, it's not we haven't you know gone to Uber Eats yet, so. I think when we do get busy, then I think Uber Eats would be a good, a good platform um, to go onto. And yeah, basically I'm doing a pop-up at Nook's Bar on the 24th of this month. Um, and yeah, it's, it's quite expensive. It's 400 grand per person, but you're getting two drinks included and like a three-course insane Thai meal plus entertainment and music. So that'll be a cool place to come if you want to check out my food. Cool. But otherwise, you'll see me around, yeah. Perfect. You'll be popping up everywhere. Thank you so much for making time. And it's it's always good to see <laughs> someone um, breaking uh, breaking the boundaries. I think that's breaking the norm. It's, it's good to kind of see this in, in, in action. So thank you so much for your refreshing take on, on how to break into the industry. No problem. Thank you so much for having me.